Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Center Court Podcast with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. Thank you for tuning in to episode number two. Ralph, how you doing over there in Virginia, my man? It is a great day in Virginia. Uh, the sun is shining. The birds are chirping. How about you on the West Coast? Everything good out there? Yeah, things are good here in Los Angeles. You know, can't complain of 70 degrees and sunny, which is every day. L.A., you can't beat it. You can't beat it. Yeah, exactly. You know, although I'm still locked on lockdown over here. Uh, yeah, well, we stay locked down. We stay locked down. I'm not going out. I'm not going out anywhere but the grocery store and Chick-fil-A is my favorite place. Oh, what's your favorite? What sauce do you get when you go to Chick-fil-A, Ralph? Oh, so I don't get sauce. I don't. I get the spicy chicken yep. with cheese. Yes, I like that. Large fry, yep. a Arnold Palmer to drink, and an extra fry. Oh, you like those crisscross fries. I do, I do. That's the best fries out there. Yeah, okay. I like it. But you get no sauce, Ralph. Come on, man. I, I can't have the sauce. I, I want to taste the, the, the spices on the chicken. I mean, I, I hear you. I like that spicy chicken, but... Their Chick-fil-A sauce. Do you dip your fries in it? Do yourself a favor. No, I don't do it. I... You're crazy. Oh man, we're gonna have to call Chick-fil-A, get a sponsorship, send you some sauce. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, you work on that one. You work on that one. That's a good. Dry chicken world over there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good. Well, I'm glad you're making it out to Chick-fil-A. The world is starting to open up. Restaurants and businesses here in California. People are still wearing masks though uh, here in LA. What's it like in Virginia? I wear a mask every day, everywhere I go, and I put gloves on still. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, I have hand sanitizer in my car, extra masks in my car. Uh, so I'm still just doing it the old way weeks ago. So call it what it is, but I, I don't see going out anywhere to a restaurant or a social gathering or anything right now. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's... You know, baby steps. And it's different for everyone. You see news reports. There's people that looks like uh, nothing happened in some states and people are out partying. And I'm definitely being a little more cautious when it comes to a lot of that. But the key for me for so long is exercise. So yes. I've really been trying to go to the beach, go on hikes, walks, uh, get out and about that way. That's been the key to my mental health 
is physical activity. And once you get in the routine, I mean, I think it becomes a habit, right? So take a walk or I do some exercise. I mean, my gym is open now and I'm not going. I'm not going to go mm-hmm. work out. I, need, I mean, I would love to go, but I'm not. So I have my routine outside. I have a routine in the house. Some weights, some dumbbells, no assess. And again, the routine is key in this pandemic. Your gym, you mentioned. I'm curious, how often do you play basketball, <laughs> if ever? I mean, it was against you. Did we ever play? No, no, I don't think we ever played. Yeah, I don't think we ever played. So no, I picked up the ba- a basketball and since probably last year. Oh wow, okay. Well, I'll pick it up this summer. Um, good idea. I might actually, I should a little jog. I should dribble a little bit. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah, take a ball with you. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah, you've always had pretty good handles. I gotta get, I gotta get an outdoor ball though. I gotta get an outdoor ball. I have an indoor ball. I need an outdoor ball. Do you miss the game? I mean, obviously you've been retwi- retired for for a while now, but was that a part of your life, or do you still always want to go back to it and pick up a basketball and put? No, my body, my body still senses. Like right now, summertime, so working out, so it's not as intense as it was right before. I, you know, I retired from the game, but I still feel it. And then October, I feel it again. The sports, you know, where the championship should have been done, it's, you know, mid to late June. Somebody would have won a championship by now. And now summer is hot, it's warm, so the body adjusts. I think everybody does that. But then when you stay at home, it just sports that much because, you know, you watch baseball, you know, football is getting ready to come maybe. And so it's kind of low. So it's, 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 it's peaceful for me to at least look at sports, be one to play sports, want to pick it up again, want to start training again for et cetera. But it's not as, like I said, as hyped as it used to be. But I still feel it. And it'll be interesting to see with the NBA, obviously, you know, potentially playing now in in late summer into the fall and how that'll affect next season, how that will change when training camps aren't starting, because that'll now be the off season. I, I, I think it'll throw every player. I mean, every sport out there is going to throw their, their rhythm off. Yeah, our rhythm is on right now. We are just getting started. We've got a scientist on the show, someone much smarter than the two of us. So that that's good. Put together. Smarter than both of us put together, for sure. That's right. Brian Berger is going to be joining us in a few minutes. He's working on discovering more about the coronavirus, COVID-19. He has a, a research grant uh, that he's been given from the National Science Foundation Uh, studying how COVID-19 interacts with our immune system, and he's searching for possible ways to prevent it from spreading, which would be a very good thing. So we'll we'll hear more from him. Very smart guy because, one, he went to University of Virginia to teach, and two – I mean, he's an amazing guy as far as gestation. His, I mean, he think, you see him thinking about stuff. Uh, how can I do this? I can do that. So he's actually outside the box in his thinking, and very, very smart guy to be able to get this grant and also work with people around the world to help us find a cure for this virus. And I can't wait to chat with Brian and, and learn more about the work that he's doing. First, it's time for our little regular segment that we're kicking off here. What's new? What's good? It could be within the world or within you. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'll kick it off. Here's something fun new that I found this week. Uh, there is a petition to change Columbus, Ohio, the capital of my home state, its name to Flavortown. Obviously, we talked about Christopher Columbus are coming down all across the country as everyone is becoming much more woke, I would say, you know, realizing that him discovering America isn't exactly how we were taught in textbooks. There's a a, a much darker side to to Christopher Columbus uh, that we got into a little bit and and people are now talking more and more about that. So there's a change.org petition to change the name of Columbus, Ohio, 
to Flavortown. Oh, Flavortown. That, oh, they, they do have flavor there. Lot, yeah, they do have that, right? They, they got, yeah, they have some flavor there. Yeah, Guy Fieri was born in Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. And at the time of this taping, over 14,000 people have signed this petition. Ralph, you think it's a good idea to change the name of Columbus, Ohio to Flavortown? I like Columbus, Ohio, but they can have a theme. Columbus, Ohio, Flavortown. <laughs> they have a lot of restaurant startups and restaurant uh, corporations there, but I don't think you change it. I don't think you change from Columbus. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to to get rid of the name of the capital. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's not like it's Christopher Columbus City. It's Columbus, Ohio. So I don't know. That's, they did take down the statue. That's, okay, take down the statue. That's fine. They took down the statue yeah. and they put that in storage. And they are making some changes uh, to honor Christopher Columbus. And the name does come from that, from him. But uh, no, I, I do not think that this petition is going to yeah, get yeah, yeah. Uh, the powers that be to actually change the name. But but it is funny. I feel like that's the wrong state, uh, even though I'm from Ohio and I love it. There are more delicious states out there. <laughs> delicious states. Uh, you know, and I can say that as an Ohioan. You know, it's made, like Louisiana. That is a tasty exactly. state. That's Flavortown, New Orleans right there. Yeah. Yeah, it is tasty New Orleans for sure. That's right. Cajun food. Cajun food. So it's Yeah, good. yeah. Ohio, you know, Ohio, our foods are bland. It's kind of bland. It's it's okay. You know, you got something uh, new you want to chat about? Well, you know, be, speaking of sports, that time of the year with the NBA and draft got moved to October. Yeah. So I'm waiting to see the format of that. Got some young players that, you know, are, are graduating from school, University of Virginia, Kentucky, and North Carolina guys that I've spoken to now. They, right. We're waiting for the draft. So their mindset and body look, they missed the March Madness. They missed, you know, NCAA tournament, any of that stuff they missed training wise. They didn't get to walk the lawn. They went home and be was quarantined like we all are, right? So the host, their whole psyche and system of how am I going to get drafted? I've been doing Zoom calls with all these teams for the last number of weeks. How can I do a Zoom call and see a guy train? So now guys are training at night, taking a video, send it to the team. I mean, you wow. can't, can't really see it. So it's going to be interesting to see this year's draft and what teams do. And how they draft for their team for the future. It's going to be crucial. This draft could be just weird, Super right? Super weird. So interesting to see what happens in October and when this goes down. But think about it. The draft's in October. Yeah. Training camp starts October. But it's going to be pushed back. All that's going to be pushed back. It's all going to be pushed back. And the start of the season could be as soon as December 1st, potentially. So that means training camp is going to have to open. November. Yeah. Two weeks after the draft. I mean, normally a player's drafted in June. And then you, I don't know how they're going to cram all of this in. It's going to be a real challenge. And Big what's challenge. interesting is we're not even talking. I mean, we're talking about it. But most people are not talking about those challenges yep. because they're so focused on finishing this season and the postseason. How what that's going to look like there's just all these other issues that the sports world has to figure out you know what person you know adam, adam silver smart smart guy he, he's he's Very taking a hand i mean they have a whole machine in the nba office and around the world that can understand that but they can't pull a trigger i mean we universities nba team to professional sports team you can't pull a trigger because you don't know what this virus is going so it's going to be hard right. but they got plan a plan b plan c they got to try something sooner or later you know, they hopefully they'll play at the end of July. We'll see what happens. But they got to try sooner or later because, you know, it just affects the whole world. We'll see what happens. 
Yeah, we will. All right. Well, let's let's move on to what's good. I got some for you, Ralph. What you got? So, what you got, Jay? Amongst my many crazy jobs that I have out there, besides this podcast, I'm the sideline reporter for something called the World Arm Wrestling League. It is the best professional arm wrestlers from all over the world. Okay, time out. Time out. Time out. It's an arm wrestling professional league. Oh, yeah. It's big. I mean, these are uh, like hardcore people. I thought they just did that at the bar. You just go at the bar and arm wrestle. Yeah. No, these. These are these people train oh, and wow. compete all around the world, uh, and I've been doing this for the last two years. When I start, knew very little. I'd say nothing about the world of professional arm wrestling, but I've gotten to know these competitors and the sport and the techniques that are used. And there's different weight oh, wow. classes. Wow, wow. Men and women compete, and they are going to be because we need sports right now. That and not many people have seen the original broadcast that we do. Uh, they're on the BR Live app uh turner sports uh helps produce these uh but they are going to be on for the next three or four weeks every friday night 10 eastern 7 pacific on fs1 fox sports one you can check it out i will watch will they wear a mask and gloves or they just no no because these results from last season so i think they took a, a gamble saying Ralph probably doesn't know who won the marquee match. So it'll feel new and relevant to you and and hopefully introduce this sport to to more people. So uh, I would recommend checking out World Arm Wrestling League on Fox Sports 1 uh, Friday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. It's... uh, it's pretty entertaining. I'll be honest. It is. Uh, well, you know, being seven four, having long arms, it's hard to arm wrestle elbow to hand. It's a little longer than everybody, so I have an advantage. It's true. Or they have it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't like to do that. I may hurt somebody's arm. They may hurt me. So. I'll be honest. You you would you would have an advantage in the sport. There are guys, the taller guys, often have an advantage. They use there's tech crazy leverage with those long arms. Yeah, that is so crazy. Well, hey, it might be, you know, a, a second professional sport for you. Uh, you know, different. I want to look into it. Oh, only in my mind. Only in my mind. Good. All right, Ralph, what's good? You got something for me? I sure do. I sure do. So I'm going back to my alma mater. We've been talking a little bit about you know, sports and universities, et cetera, et cetera. And then our guest, Brian's a professor at University of Virginia as well. But they just opened up the Slave Museum right on the campus by the Rotunda at University of Virginia. Right by the lawn. I actually stayed on the lawn my senior year. So it's right when they're watching it, see what's going on. I'll take pictures and put it on our social media channels. And I look forward to seeing it. So that should be interesting to see and see people's reactions as well. Mm, that is good. That is interesting. You know, it's uh, University of Virginia certainly has a complicated history with Thomas Jefferson. And, you know, we just discussed Christopher Columbus. Our American history is complicated. You know, a lot of these figures that have been uh, revered, you know, I'm not one for deleting history, but one for putting it in the proper context. And it sounds like that's what the university is doing. Yeah, just the proper context. That's all you have to do. Yeah, you can't delete it. Yeah. You got to make sure it's real. I mean, just say, say what's real. Say the truth. Don't don't mask it at all. Right, right. So it sounds like that's what they're doing, which is is great. So I look forward to seeing that as well. All right. Well, I think it's time to get to our guest. Here we go. The one and only Brian Berger from the University of Virginia. So uh, without further ado, let's bring him on. Without further ado. All right. Let's go. COVID-19, it's something that we had never heard of a year ago at this time, and now it has changed the way the entire world functions. 
We are so glad to have a special guest on today, someone who is working to fully understand COVID-19, and he's working on an NSF-funded research project studying how COVID-19 interacts with our immune system and searching for a possible way to prevent it from spreading. That would be good. Please yeah. welcome to the show Associate Professor of Biomedical Engineering at the University of Virginia, Brian Berger. Brian, thank you for joining welcome, us welcome, here on welcome. Center Court. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Happy to be here. Yeah, University University of Virginia, um, uh, one of the best professors that we find there. My, <laughs> my mate love, loves loves him to death. So it's um, good to be here with you, Brian. And thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the the love is mutual. So and thank you for allowing me to be here, despite the fact that I have no association with the University of Virginia, unlike you guys. No, you don't. You don't. We we don't we don't claim you have Virginia, so it's good. <laughs> okay, yeah, good. <laughs> That's a good. So Brian, you're clearly the smartest one uh, on the show here today. <laughs> yeah, that's undisputed. So could you just, in layman's terms, tell us a little bit more about the work that you do uh, at the University of Virginia, and specifically what you were doing as it pertains to coronavirus, COVID nineteen? Sure. Yeah. So I um, my lab really works on biotechnology, synthetic biology. Um, so the idea there is, you know, kind of taking nature and biological systems, learning from them, and then kind of using what we learn to design um, better tools and technologies that are, are bio-based, right? You know, they're environmentally friendly, green, sustainable. For COVID, I love proteins. So I love yeah, proteins. Yeah. I love protein structure, function. That's a lot of the research that I did, you know, as a yeah. student, you know, what I enjoyed the most in biochemistry. With regards to, to coronavirus, you know, in March, the university shut down like a lot of universities, right? So I was sitting with all my graduate students, postdocs, and just reading about the virus and trying to understand how it works. Part of it was related to some work I had been doing. So we, my lab, we really love membrane proteins, acidic cell membranes. Um, it's sort of the lipids or the fats that kind of encapsulate cells. Um, and if you look at like the viral life cycle, this is true of, of all viruses, not just Corona, a lot of these membrane structures in the, in, in our bodies, in our cells to propagate, you know, replicate and avoid, you know, detection by our immune system. And so that was kind of the, the hook, I guess, into coronavirus with what we do. We were a lot more interested in kind of what happens after that. So. Once the virus is already in and you have an active infection, how does your body fight it off or not? Viruses are very clever in that they figure out a lot of tricky ways to evade your immune system, which allows them to, to spread more rapidly. So those proteins we kind of honed in on because we felt like those weren't being as well studied as some of the others. So you've been studying this. Uh, so, I mean, the coronavirus may have been out in late December of last year. When did you first hear about it? Kind of what was your opinion of it? Uh, it was coming from in China somewhere or did it start somewhere else? But what was your opinion about it, you know, when you first heard about it? Yeah, I feel like it was really, you know, the, the beginning of the year, you know, like December, January, when this first outbreak happened. Um, you know, I started to read about it or hear about it um, in the news. Because, um, you know, before, before this COVID, there was, you know, SARS, there were MERS, there were other examples of coronavirus. And so... I remember reading, I think it was a couple articles just saying, you know, remember MERS, remember SARS, this appears to be another event like that. And so I guess that was sort of the first time I it, we were talking about it in the lab or reading articles about it was kind yeah. of at the beginning of the year. Beginning of the year, yeah. Was there a moment for you that it really, you were like, oh, this is, this is going to change my life. This is going to change our lives. I mean, I, I saw what was happening in China on news reports. I saw what was happening in Italy. 
and it still felt far away for me. And it wasn't really until it started to affect the sports world that the NBA dramatically shut down on, I believe, maybe March 7th that, that happened. Uh, and and then the NCAA canceled, it postponed its tournament at the time. Yeah. And, and it really became real for me that this is this is going to change everything. Was there a moment for you that it, it went from being something you read about and keep an eye on to something that this is unlike anything we've experienced in our lifetime? I think once you saw, you, know, you like in January, I was kind of trying to remember as you were, you were talking, like that's when it happened in, in China, You're kind of the first reports of it. Mm -hmm. But I think what was kind of shocking to me was when you all of a sudden it popped up, I think in Iran and then Italy and you know, the, the kind of the rapid devastation, it wasn't just a report of a few people getting infected, right? The first reports were, you know, large number of infections, oh, no. you know, casualties. So it just seemed odd in that it was happening at a much faster rate and the kind of the devastation of it was a lot worse than, you know, what you would have expected to hear. So I think at that point was when you kind of realized, gosh, this is going to be global, not local. Spread quite quickly, right? Just kind of, kind of went went quickly for just a couple of weeks it was there and then went fast so i mean that's amazing to see it i wish you could have called me then brian and given me a heads up i i really was slow to this apparently yeah uh now brian the work that you're doing can you tell us how that is going uh obviously research uh projects like what you're doing they they can take years but uh mm -hmm. have you been optimistic in the results that you found thus far uh how how is it going? Yeah, we're really. I would say we're really at the beginning. You know, I think our initial results are are promising, and that I think they're gonna. I think a lot of the ideas we had about the methods we were going to use to try and understand this process seem to be panning out. So I think just some of our foundational assumptions, I guess, about how we were going to do this seem to look promising. So that that is really exciting. We got some good results. Go back when you first heard this thing, and you you got you got a lab maybe a couple months ago. Yeah. In your opinion, what should have happened with something like this, SARS and Ebola, that this stuff happened? I know we got the CDC and the Global World Health Initiative and all that kind of stuff as well, but what should happen with something like this? Could, I mean, scientists across the world basically are studying this thing individually, collectively. Do you collaborate with those other scientists in some way, shape, or form? Is everybody trying to work together to get this thing resolved, or everybody's individual trying to find a cure? No, I would say, I mean, I think there's definitely a collaboration, like open communication, sharing of information has, has been the hallmark of this from the get-go. So the National Science Foundation, where we got this funding, has actually set up a open data sharing platform where, you know, for example, for us, right, we're doing this research. Let's say we find something really interesting. We don't work with live viruses in my lab. You know, we just study specific proteins, but eventually we would want to, and we're going to need help. There's a message board where you can go post and say, hey, look, I have this grant. I'm struggling right now. Is there somebody out there who can help me with, you know, a live virus test? I've got this interesting question. And so, you know, in that sense, I'd say it's probably even a little bit different than some of the other grants I've had where the openness and kind of the the level of collaboration, you know, throughout the world has been pretty, pretty broad. Yes, I mean, the general public doesn't understand that inside. So it's great to hear that there's some collaboration around the world because you hear Oxford and all these other places, you know, may have some advanced techniques or technology that they yeah. can find a cure or a vaccine, but is it real or not? Everybody just kind of wondering. So that's good to know that at least there's some collaboration around the world. So thanks for that information for sure. Yeah, definitely. Now, Brian, uh, while you're not an epidemiologist, you certainly know a lot about coronavirus and, and the work that you're doing, you know, around it, uh, studying this. 
I'm just curious in your estimation, if I was just asking you, you know, as a friend, when do you think there, there might be a vaccine or, or a treatment uh, available? And obviously, you know, we don't know, but, but if your best guess on when we could expect something like that, you keep hearing reports that the fastest possible could be 18 months. It could be two years, but that's really fast. Could it be longer? What's your best guess? I probably the, yeah, I would say that 18 month window is, is probably pretty reasonable. I mean, like, like you said, I'm not a epidemiologist, but one thing that I think is interesting that when you see that 18 month comment, and kind of ask, like, why does it take that long? One challenge is really just manufacturing. There's a lot of equipment, your resources, knowledge that kind of has to be redeployed specifically to that to produce quickly. That capacity is, the cha- is one major challenge, I think, that holds back how quickly we can do things. So if they have something tomorrow, then still it'll be, and they got to test it, right? You got to do trials yeah. and testing and all that. It takes, it takes a while to do. So six months yep. to get it up and running and then testing and then manufacturing so that's the whole process yeah you talk a lot about the testing and that's really important too for sure you know to make sure that's efficacious and safe but then after that there's just that practical challenge of making enough of it for everyone billions of doses right so it's all over the world i mean and who gets it first right i mean it's kind of kind of figure that out older people younger people so it's kind of crazy what's going to happen with that in that respect so there the virus out here that's spreading very rapidly some people think maybe it's not it's, you know, since it's warm, summer, does the a virus slow down? Does it speed up? What is this virus doing in the, in the community? It's still here. I mean, I believe anyway. So what right. are they doing in the warm weather, the summer weather? I mean, people are gathering out in these protests and and the, all these things around the country. It, how, is that, in your opinion, going to spread more or the virus died down, as some people think. Yeah, you know, again, it's hard to say, you know, not, not being an epidemiologist, but I do feel like, you know, as a scientist, there are, published studies, you know, that are peer reviewed that show that, you know, if you're wearing a mask, you know, if you're practicing social distancing, you're, you're washing your hands, these kind of three basic things, you can really reduce the rate of spread. So I think, you know, in any instance, whether it's summer, winter, you know, indoors, outdoors, right, those three things always seem to be consistently critical to, to preventing the, the spread more than anything. The seasonality of it, it's independent of what time of year it would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's that's stuff that people just don't know, right? That they're, they're still yeah. trying to figure out. So Sure, there's so much we still don't know. You know, this is a moving target. So it's hard to uh, understand what we know about it um, and, and continue to learn about it through the great research that you and so many are doing. Well, I mean, the mere fact of athletes, I mean, I think football is one that's looking at it as well. I mean, I think it'll be, it'll be quarantine they'll be in a bubble. But University of Virginia, as we spoke the other day, I mean, it's still up in the air whether, you know, school will be back in football, will start playing. So how do they make, I mean, I'm sure it's a tough decision to make for, you know, the faculty staff and the president of the school. But, you know, and you mentioned social distancing and washing your hands and, you know, wearing a mask are the three key things. I mean, I'm looking at doing basketball camps for kids as well. And they say, well, six feet apart, now 10 feet apart, you can only have 10 kids in the gym. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy, but how do how do they wear a mask while you play basketball? It just feels to be impossible. But mm-hmm. how do you think that's going to work 
you know, at University of Virginia and for sports in general. I, yeah, I think these are all the challenges everybody's facing at the moment. Yeah, it's how do, how do we actually implement all this? Yeah, there's one, there's sort of the recommendations, right? And then sort of the figuring out how to actually make it work is a big challenge. I mean, I think it's not even UVA. I think every school is really struggling with, you know, whether it's, you know, from elementary school up to university, how do we, how do we manage the students? How do we make sure everybody's safe? I mean, I think one big part of it is that'll hopefully improve is testing capabilities, you know, with, at least with testing capabilities. If somebody's feeling ill or there's the ability to test rapidly, you can hopefully find somebody early on and make sure that you intervene to get them the, the care they need and pretend, you know, potentially avoid spread of infection. Yeah. Now you have young kids. So yeah, speaking to people that are listening, would you send them back to school in a regular, I mean, you and your wife had to make that decision. Would you send them back to school? I mean, Jason had a young daughter. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it's not going to daycare at two years old, probably, but (laughs) it may be in California. Would you send your kid to school and and how safe would it be? Yeah, I mean, we're we're talking about that at the moment. I think this summer there was still a lot of uncertainty. So, you know, she she's you know stayed home with us, and I mean, she's happy, right? She gets to run around and play outside all summer, which is good. But yeah, I think the, the testing is like one key thing, I guess, that I I kind of look to to see. You know, once there's rapid testing capabilities, then you can at least do better in terms of catching infections early on. And then I think the other thing is just managing size too, right? You know. If, you have huge classrooms. Like we talk about this with teaching in the fall, right? right? You know, big classrooms with lots of students. It's just not practical or safe to do that. So I guess if you can manage the density of people and the rapid testing, you know, maybe you can start to think about things like that. But again, I'm not a, not being a you know medical expert or epidemiologist. I don't know all the, the other factors that there might be. Uh, sure, sure. But hey, you're you're a scientist and you are working uh, on uh, a National Science Foundation funded project related to COVID-19. So you're an expert in my eyes. <laughs> and this is something that is certainly affecting all of us. I'm just curious in your day to day life, what sort of precautions do you take in your home? Because everyone has a different level of fear, anxiety, you want to be safe, you want to be cautious, am I going overboard or not? Uh, just give me a quick rundown of how you deal with with food from stores, from you know going out into the world, uh, receiving packages, just the day to day things that we all do. Uh, am I going overboard when I'm you know wearing gloves and scrubbing down every package that comes? Are you doing those sorts of things? I'm just curious from someone who's uh, uh, more in the medical you know chemical engineering world than i am who who knows a lot more about this stuff how safe are are you and your family being in your real life yeah i i guess we look a lot to you know cdc you know national institutes of allergy and infectious disease you know niaid you know their website has a lot of great resources so you know we're as my wife and i are both scientists so we're very like kind of data-driven people. So those two websites help us a lot. And I think the literature too, you know, like some of these articles we read that as I think in Spain and Italy, they've been doing these sort of large cohort studies and seeing what best practices work and, and don't work. That's where those big three about the, you know, the masks, you know, personal hygiene, social distancing seem to really bear. Yeah, I guess with food, you know, like because one thing is, yeah, restaurants are really suffering, especially here in Charlottesville, I'm sure nationally. I'm not aware of, of any like strong evidence that it's a, a GI infection. So mm-hmm. yeah, as long as somebody's prepared food and it's cooked and, you know, it's it's clean, then you know, I can't imagine that being a, a, a way to spread all that it may be possible. So so in terms of food and things, you know, we as long as it's cooked to 165, so it's well done, there shouldn't be any issues there. But 
I guess I work a lot on food safety and microbiology too. So I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think a lot about the, the temperature at which I cook things for that, you know, just general microbial safety. So well, right. well, Jason, Brian was telling me one time about lettuce in a, in a plastic bag, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell me that story, right? Cause you, you, you told me that. And so I don't buy lettuce in a plastic bag anymore. Right. I mean, just, he told me something about it. I'm like, okay. Every time I see it in the store, like, Okay, I'm not going to do that. So yeah, tell me, Brian. I just get the I just get the whole lettuce head and do my own thing now. So oh, boy. we I was yeah I didn't mean to I didn't mean to ruin uh, bag lettuce for you. So no, it's okay. It, it, it was it was it was an idea that was smart. I I, I caught it, so I remember. Okay. That. Yeah, yeah. Enlighten me, please, before I, I go have my bag lettuce. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a small. I started a small company here um, where we're making antifungals or kind of antibacterials for food safety, but for a lot of other applications. So we're always looking at ways of like improving pre and post harvest agriculture. Yeah, so you know, shelf life extension. Yeah, you know, so when you have that bag of lettuce sitting on the shelf, you know, it stays fresh longer. So that's sort of one application we're exploring. But you know, with with lettuce, you have these pathogens, you know, like E. coli, Salmonella, things you hear about in the news that um, they can live inside the actual lettuce tissue. And so as they're sitting, you know, you might, you know, you pull it out of the field, you wash it, you package it and you think, okay, I've rinsed it. You know, I've rinsed off anything that might be causing illness, but you know, it kind of lives with, within the lettuce too. So over time, you know, if you're walking through the grocery store, you hear that's, um, I think at Wegmans, they have like singing in the rain, you know, and it, it's yeah. kind of misting down to keep everything from drying out. That actually rinses out a lot of these microbes and they'll accumulate in um i call it like produce juice you know, there's like usually a little bit of liquid trapped in the bottom of your bag sometimes it can yeah. be cloudy that's like a great place for these um microbes to grow so um and actually caught you know potentially cause infection but it, as long as you wash everything you know when you bring it home you're safe so jason wash your lettuce well there goes my my <laughs> new sports drink i was launching produce juice that produce i gotta juice, yeah. scrap that uh, yeah oh man Okay. All right. Well, that that's good to know for for sure. Uh, you don't get that bag of lettuce and avoid the produce juice. Uh, yeah, just just wash your lettuce. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. I try to do that. I try to do that for sure. Well, as you can see, Brian is very creative. So he not only is you know washing lettuce and so forth and so on. We we dabble dabbled in some hemp projects with him. That's how we met to uh, his lightos project down to the CBD. And now into the, you know, COVID virus. So very, very smart guy, you know, University of Virginia. Uh, tell me how you, your, your, your plight, how did you get to where you are? As a young kid that may be listening and people may be listening to how to beat this COVID thing. But who, who helped you get to where you are? Give me a, some stories about when you were gotcha. younger. What made someone interested in biology? And, and, and you know, that's, that's just like not the normal, right? That, what people want to do, what young kids want to do. How did, how did that happen with you? Yeah. I, I mean, gosh, yeah, there's so many, yeah, there's so many people who, you know, I'm thankful for having met that have kind of helped me get to where I am today. So early in life, uh, um, I guess as a kid growing up, my father is an engineer. So, you know, I kind of looked to him as an example and, you know, he um, would help me do my homework and do, you know, my mom would help me with English and, and reading. My dad would help me with math and science. So and that's as I kind of looked to both of them. They always made a, education a big priority for me growing up and, and my dad being an engineer in particular kind of got me thinking about, you know, it'd be fun to be an engineer too. 
So I guess in that sense, that was sort of my first exposure to, to science. I had a lot of great school teachers, you know, that helped me too along the way. And science programs, summer camps that I think were also really influential. But I'd have to say my parents, you know, my dad in particular, on the science side. When you're starting all these companies and doing all these things, like you and I talk about, Ralph, with hemp and all these other ideas, you need somebody yeah, to help yeah. you, like, find the time to do all this. So my, my wife's also, you know, a scientist, but somebody who has been a huge supporter uh, in terms of giving me time and support to to pursue all these things. So it's definitely somebody else that I, you know, has kind of inspired me and, and helped me get to where I am today. Well, she, 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 she understands what you do. So that's, that's, a, that's a really good thing, really good combination for sure. Well, Brian, before you get out of here, uh-huh. we got to leave on a positive note, okay? okay. So sure, of can, course. can you give us some hope, uh, you yeah. know, as it pertains to, how we all live, uh, the, the work that you're doing, COVID-19. Uh, there's been a lot of bad news uh, over the last few months, and, and it's been a big adjustment for, for so many of us, for the economy, for industries. Uh, from what you've seen, what you've read, what you're hearing, and the work that you're doing, it, do you have some optimism left in you? Can, can you pass some hope on to us as to what the road ahead will look like? Oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely I mean, I think it's great to see so many different people involved in this effort, you know, like with the research project we have, I mean, there's so many other people from all walks of life and disciplines all over the world coming in, right? I think anytime you're bringing in all these different backgrounds and ideas and people, you know, better ideas are going to emerge, right? So, you know, good things are going to come from that. I think some of the, you know, practically speaking, the, you know, evidence from some of these early trials regarding vaccines seem promising. You know, it'll take time to finish, but there seems to be some which are, are promising. Um, and even therapeutics too. You know, there's some early studies with some antivirals for people that have acute symptoms that have also shown good promise in clinical trials. So, um, so I think there's definitely hope uh, for sure. So unfortunately, yes, yeah, it's the challenge of, of time. But I think if, if everyone's involved the way they are now and working as hard as they are, something good will come of this so sooner than later yeah sooner than later for sure absolutely the new the new normal wear a mask wash your hands yeah and sanitize Mm -hmm. social distancing is crucial into this in the near term yeah for sure and brian with the work that you're doing what is what is a best case scenario uh as it pertains to to your specific research related to COVID 19. what is if i could head of a magic wand and say here's the results you want to see in the lab. What, what would that look like for you? Oh, um, I guess a couple of things we, we would, um, if all goes well, I think we'll have a, a much better understanding of how, uh, certain proteins in coronavirus can suppress the immune system. Mm-hmm. So it can kind of lead to greater extent of infection you know, and even maybe folks who are even say, uh, asymptomatic begin to understand why, or why some people are more susceptible than others. Um, and then also I think potentially some ideas about how to target either developing drugs or developing ideas that, you know, others like pharmaceutical companies can use to develop more targeted drugs. Um, you know, we're trying not to study the same thing everybody else is studying in part, just to see what, you know, maybe if, if anything emerges, but new ideas that we can bring to kind of get people thinking about other strategies and maybe some drug candidates will develop who knows. 
but yeah. Um, so I think those are all possibilities. Best of luck. We thank Absolutely. you for the work that you're doing. You know, the, the more understanding we can have around COVID-19, the coronavirus, uh, and uh, get people help and get people back to work, uh, the, the sooner the better. Uh, we thank you for, for your time and your efforts that you're doing in the scientific community to help us better understand exactly what we're dealing with. Yeah, thanks for the time. Yeah, thank you. And one of the best universities in the country. So, Mark, of course. one of the best universities around, right? Goes without saying. Yeah, so thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for being on, Tom. And then we'll definitely do it again one day soon after we get this Great. virus taken care of. That's right. I look forward to it. Well, thanks, Brian. Go. Let's all go wash our hands. All right, Ralph. Well, you know, I'm glad that we could have Brian Berger on to give us some more insight into the work that he's doing around uh, COVID-19. And I just I hope we can we can get back to to normal or whatever normal may look like soon, because this is it's been a tough year for all of us. Yeah, we should just erase 2020, right? Just start all over 2021 and get it done. But great interview with Brian. Great guy, UVA guy, professor. I got a great relationship with him and the three things he, i mean we take away wear a mask mm-hmm. wash your hands you know s- social distancing and just protect yep. yourself at all costs so i mean great great i just what's out there but we don't know about this thing so everybody just has to protect themselves out there and just be safe yeah everyone just has to be smart you know it's like there's there's different levels of this everyone has some level of fear or anxiety uh and there can be too much of that where it really affects your mental health but you just have to be smart about you, how you interact with the world as we start opening up and going back into the world and one thing i've realized through this whole process is how how much more I should have been washing my hands. Oh, yeah, before. yeah. Well, your, hand, your hands dried out. Now you got to have lotion, hands dried out, hand sanitizer. Now you know what hand sanitizer is, the best hand, hand sanitizer to the worst hand sanitizer. Yeah. New businesses have popped up in hand sanitizer. I think I heard like 1,500 new companies trying to sell hand sanitizer. Wow. Masks are selling like crazy. Now you got people with all kinds of masks on. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's turned something into a business, which is great, but still got to protect yourself. You mentioned uh, you wear a mask. What, what's your mask look like? If I see seven foot four Hall of Fame center Ralph Sampson walking down the street towards me wearing a mask, what, uh, paint this picture for me. What does that uh, look like? I, I, you know, my sister's got me. So we have some businesses. My sister got me all these surgical masks. So we got the N95. We got oh. all these other masks. Okay, great. And I'm like, I can't breathe. You know, right. I can't breathe. And actually, ironically, she had one on and the shield at work and two masks on, and then she got faint, and then she came home like, my heart hurts. I'm like, okay, hold it, time on. You might have this. So we actually put her in the hospital for a night. Oh, wow. Just to get her get a check, but she had, you know, just anxiety, and yeah. just things were going on with her, so we had to be very careful with this, because you don't know what it is. I mean, you get right. a little cold, you get a little fever, you cut your finger, you might say, I got COVID. So everybody just got to be safe, and, 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 and it's better to be safe than sorry. That's true. Better be safe well, than sorry. Stay safe over there, Ralph. I'm I will. You too, out there. Here. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Center Court with Ralph and myself. We've got some great episodes coming in the pipeline, some great guests who are going to be joining us. So you want to tune in every week right here where you download your podcasts, Center Court Podcast with Ralph Sampson and Jason Zone Fisher. Well, hey, and follow us on our social media channel, Center Court 50 on Instagram. That's right. And sure to follow Ralph, Ralph Sampson 50 on Instagram, and myself, Jay-Z Fish, J-Z-F-I-S-H on Instagram. All three of those channels will have all the info for upcoming guests that you're not going to want to miss right here on the center court podcast 
Don't miss it. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.